Knoxville, Tennessee. Welcome to another exciting hour of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Professional wrestling the way it used to be and the way you like it. And welcome to Fire in the Mountains as we recap episodes number 9 and number 10 tonight. Ricky Wittenberg along with Andy Waddell and Justin Edgel. And guys, a couple of weeks sabbatical and now we're back. Andy, how have you been doing? I am doing great. I am higher than Freebird Mountain. The bombs are dropping like the French Air Force. Let's go. All right. Justin Edgel, how are you doing this week? Doing well as always. Glad to be back. Uh, it's going to be fun to uh, review a pretty shitty show. It'll be fun. Even, yes. Sometimes that makes it makes it better. Yeah, don't let that discourage you. The we will we will go ahead and preface this. I think this was actually the two worst shows back to back that we've watched, and, and and probably the two weakest shows overall. But that's just part of the growing pains early here in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Um, you're going to get some of those here early, and then, but that's just going to lead to better things down the line. So we'll jump straight into episode number nine. Once again, they're in Knoxville, Tennessee this week. And uh, match number one, at least it's one of our favorites, Joey Maggs gets the jobber entrance as he's already in the ring to start out the match. And he's going to fight the dirty white boy, Tony Anthony. And uh, basically, Maggs was just in the ring awaiting his demise. Dude, Mags needs to get him a. If I could go back in time and talk to this young man, I'd tell him to get him a motorcycle and a helmet and come out to the chips thing because he looks like Poncho's uh, fat cousin or something. Yeah, Joey Mags is not a bad wrestler, but um, this, I don't know. Uh, in this match, what's uh, Dirty White Boy just basically shit kicks him the entire match. And uh, Ron Wright does wheel himself down to the announcer's desk during the match for a funny part as he, he, he asked for people to send money for his operation and they actually put up a address on the screen for a post office box. So I, I wonder if, if no, not if I'm sure that he got something. I wonder how much money was actually donated to this Ron Wright slush fund that uh, Smoky Mountain was running. It, it probably bought Cornette uh, uh, a few cheeseburgers, if nothing else. Yeah, maybe a couple bucks, but, you know, I don't understand why Joey Max continues to get squashed. I mean, I understand Dirty White Boy, he's a good worker and everything like that. He's probably the – well, if Rip Roger, he's gone now. Basically, it looks like it for a little bit. Uh, he, Besides him, he, he he's – Dirty White Boy is the best they got right now. Oh, so I get why they had him squash him, but – Yeah, that's – I think we've talked about this in one of the earlier shows. If you – if yeah. we're watching – SMW, in hindsight, I really think that they would have done well with a a lot heavyweight division to go along. I mean, you know, they didn't have the some yeah. of the other ancillary titles. They had the heavyweight title and the tag title early on. But I think a lightweight title would have done real good things for guys like Joey Mags. And, and they was actually pushing Tim Horner as a main eventer, so he probably wouldn't have fit in. But Barry Horowitz and Hector Until Guerrero. Until he started singing. We'll talk about that. Hector Guerrero and guys like that, it would have really done – a lot heavyweight would have done well. But, yeah, in this match, Dirty White Boy, um, the, Joey Maggs does get in a decent amount of offense, and White Boy's frustrated, and uh, eventually Todd turns. He hits a really cool standing drop kick 
I mean, for a guy that big, he really shouldn't be able to pull off that nice of a standing drop kick. And he he wins with kind of like the side suplex driver, the uh, maybe the like a variation of the boss man slam. So, uh, basic squash match for match number one. Uh, Justin, any uh, would you like to add anything to this match? Yeah, not not too much. It was it was pretty boring boring match. Uh, predictable whatever you want to call it. It's like a uh, Saturday morning superstars match, I guess. Yeah. I mean, uh, right now as we're coming into the tag, tag title tournament, that well, both tournaments, but the heavyweight tournament, they're setting it up and you're got to make your main guys look strong. So I, I sure. get what they're right. Doing. Exactly. Andy, uh, any thoughts further on this I'd- match? I was just trying to get through this match to get to the next segment. This, oh Lord, this is this is glorious. Uh, actually, the next segment was Bob Armstrong as he talks about the Smoky Mountain Tournament, and he announces it's going to be held at Volunteer Slam at the in Knoxville, and there's going to be twelve men. The top five seeds have a bye, which is kind of weird, a little bit different. The Dirty White Boy Brian Lee. Tim Horner, Robert Gibson, and Jimmy Golden, all with buys. And then six wild cards, Dixie Dynamite, Dutch Mantel, Scott Anthony, Hector Guerrero, Buddy Landell, and Paul Orndorff. Now, just looking at this on paper, the seating is very suspect. It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. I mean, I would definitely not have tim horner as one of the top five seeds and possibly not i know why they had that they had to like have a face heel dynamic but paul orndorff still being billed as a face so he should have been in the top six but i know why he's not and justin you'll that that's gonna it's gonna lead to something pretty cool down the road so that was actually a booking decision but Buddy Landell, and I mean, like you had asked me, where's Terry Gordy? Uh, he was probably on a tour of Japan at this time and not available to come for this tournament, so that's why he wasn't in the tournament. And they advertised Scott Anthony as one of the wild cards, and uh, you, got, you guys do know who Scott Anthony is, correct? Uh, I don't. Uh, Andy, do you know who Scott Anthony was uh, back in 1992? Not a clue. Scott, do you know who Scotty the Body is? Oh, good Lord. Scotty Flamingo. Yes. Johnny Polo. Oh, this, this is going to be great. Otherwise known as Raven. So Raven no in Smoky shit. Mountain in 1992. <laughs> yeah. But Scott Anthony, unfortunately, will not make an appearance. I'll go ahead and spoil that. I think he had some uh, other booking conflicts and – he was going to lose in the first round anyway, so he never makes it into Smoky Mountain. But Scott Anthony, a.k.a. Raven, was almost a part of Smoky Mountain Wrestling early. Well, what I loved about this segment, though, was the cheesiness, looking back at it, of Armstrong coming out there and trying to sell to the crowd that they had offered and took bids from cities nationwide to hold this tournament when they've been in Knoxville pretty much from the beginning or Morristown, I just, uh, uh, that right there, just, I don't know. It just hit my funny bone for some reason. Oh. Yeah. It continues to amaze me how much he, he tries to make this seem so stinking real. It's great. And, and, and I think that's the R of Bob Armstrong. And I guess I can see why he was such a, I guess, God down there in 
Knoxville or Smoky Mountain Wrestling, yeah. wherever, whatever you want to call it, down south wrestling. Yeah, and it, it's pretty not, cool. It's funny as hell. And we've not even begun to tip the edge of the iceberg on Bob Armstrong yet. There's some really, really good stuff from him all throughout the Smoky Mountain Run. So there we've set up I, I, the title tournament. Well, I'm still, uh, I still have, I still have one more, one more uh, uh, dude that's missing. Where the hell's Rip Rogers? in that tournament it's a good point and oh man just i know they try to bury his ass the first eight eight or i guess eight episodes they they bury him but he's the best they have i don't get it yeah i I never it in hindsight definitely he was he should have been more more of a prominent player in smoky mountain i would have really i mean can you imagine rip rogers and buddy landell as a tag team or as a combination, my God, that just is a license to print money. If you had those two together, I, I they really missed the. Oh, they had a good opportunity with Rogers because he was one of those guys that could connect with the fans. Yeah, and when you're running the local, you know, regional type promotion, and it's a smaller venue, you've got to have that character that's going to get some kind of reaction from the fans, whether it be heat or whether it's the baby face and. I don't know. I, I don't see how they didn't see that because every time he got in there, the the crowd was up yelling, screaming, cussing, mamaw's throwing her earrings at him. It's it's glorious. Yeah, yeah. So, but yes, he's uh, inconspicuous by his absence. So WWE WCW talent. There's no doubt about it. Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely. And hopefully, we see him in the future. I have no idea. You will. He 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 is around Smoky Mountain on and off for for quite a while. So. Oh, that's, that's good. We'll, we'll have, you'll have more of the Ripper on the way. Uh, so we come out after this uh, tournament announcement and do our <laughs> first our first um, wrestler profile that uh, Smoky Mountain puts on, and it's uh, Tim Horner showcasing his singing ability. It and was Shameless. They It was, and that was the name of the song also, uh, by chance, Shameless. Hey-o. And usually if you see something like this back then, they, you would think they would show it for, I don't know, maybe him singing for 30 seconds inside the studio. This is him for a full two minutes just belting out Shameless. And I'm not saying that he's the worst singer I've ever heard. I guess he would be just fine over here, Andy, at uh, at our local one of the honky-tonks singing karaoke on a Thursday night. He'd... He would fit in okay, but for them to give him two minutes of TV to sing Shameless, it was exactly one minute and 59.5 seconds too long. It was horrible. There toward the end, though, he even quit singing, and it sounded more like William Shatner doing the car went down the road. And um, and I'm like, he just shat all over that song. That that was pitiful. He actually had some facial expressions to where it actually did look like he was. (laughs) shitting during the song (laughs) yeah that the freeze frame for the fans that ain't seen it go back and look at this and look at the freeze frame when the song ends yeah if that's not a poop face i don't know what is (laughs) justin do you you really think he was singing oh no that really was him there's no doubt that was him singing yeah well i gotta say Oh, shit. Well, I have to go back on my, what, what I think. If he was really singing it, I, it was halfway decent, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I mean, like, at the end of the it day. It kind of sounded like Garth Brooks, I guess, but. He's not horrible, but he's not a, 
he's not a he's not a recording artist. I mean, yeah. he should stick with doing something besides singing. Yeah, and, and they don't need it, to. It to showcase he should have done something funny like The Rock or you know, somebody like that does when they're just goofing off singing, not make it look like he was trying to go to Nashville. But, it was still the corniest damn thing I maybe have ever seen on a wrestling promotion. <laughs> it was great, though. It, it, well, sure it was. Right. That's what makes it good. I mean, that's, you know. We will, uh, we will probably, I'm not sure, I can't remember how many more times we will have Horner sing. Uh, maybe that was it. I can't remember. Whatever. It, it, it was what it was, so we'll move on. Bob Holly, uh, interview. He's he gives a really good psychology on why he's not in the tournament, though. They ask him why he's not – he's doing an interview on why he's not in the tournament, and he talks up being in Hollywood with his, uh, his main squeeze, Julie Roberts, and – he basically comes out and says he don't need to f- have to go through a gauntlet in the tournament. He'll just beat whoever wins the title. And I'm thinking that's actually a pretty sound strategy. Don't get in the tournament. Just beat the guy that wins the belt. That's a bold move, Cotton. Let's see how it works out. Yeah, I don't uh, – we'll, we'll see how it works out for Holly. But that's actually pretty smart on Jim Cornette's part too because he really was trying to push Holly hard early. And having him lose in the Smoky Mountain Tournament wouldn't have been good for his character. So they just didn't put him in the tournament. And then they give him a perfectly legitimate reason why he's not in the tournament. So that was actually a a pretty good booking decision by Cornette uh, to try to protect Holly a little bit there. Yeah, the guy's starting to grow on me a little bit. Is it starting to make me laugh a little? He's really trying to sell this whole him dating Julia Roberts deal. You know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at least it's, bad, it's, it's, it's better than it used to be, I guess. He is playing the part. The more it goes on. So we move into our match number two of the night, Jimmy Golden against Tommy Angel. And uh, I've got notes here that Dutch was – he's he keeps looking at the paper, and he doesn't understand that he is – he's a very upset that he's not getting an automatic bid or an automatic buy in this tournament. And uh, he harps on that basically the entire episode off and on. And he's in a bad mood, and he tells he tells Golden to beat the fool out of Angel. Uh, he's he's pretty ornery, and really, Tommy Angel he's looked good in some of the early Smoky Mountain episodes. But I this match was just not. Neither one of them really looked like they wanted to be in there. They looked like they wanted to be anywhere else. wasn't a very good match, I didn't think. Golden, he, he's got a hell of a drop kick. He hits it again. That's how he wins the match. And then he attacks Tommy Angel after the match. So uh, Robert Gibson comes down uh, for the save and basically foreshadowing a feud between Jimmy Golden and, and Robert Gibson. And it pretty nothing match. Uh, Andy, what did, what did you think? I, I was more impressed by after the you know the whole feud and running off and then Gibson grabs the microphone and threatens uh, Golden with STD. That was pretty good. <laughs> oh my he said God. he's going to give him something Ajax couldn't wash off. I, around here, that's STD. That's uh, <laughs> that is true. Yes, I mean that's that's one of the old. Ja- okay, Justin, what did you think of the match? Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's pretty boring for the most part. It, it, you know what? It, it seemed like Jimmy Golden didn't 
play the heel part at all. Like usually he's yelling at the crowd and screaming and that. I don't know. Seemed out of character. For him, yeah, I, I guess. I don't know. It, that this that was just kind of a strange match overall. It was so, going through the motions. I guess that's no, but during that match, it. It, we, we had put a note in that there was a possible fan sighting of the week, and it's uh, it, it's basic. Well, this was one kid. There's a group of three kids that that definitely was in the running, and we'll see later if they uh, they take on the title. So watch for yeah, them after this match. Pube statues ever maybe. Yeah, but uh, definitely. Back back to the desk, and Robert Gibson, as Andy said, uh, he's he's going to give Alt Golden an STD. Um, make that make whatever you want of that comment. Jim Cornette up next for his big reveal. Uh, he's got uh, Mister Ramey with him once again, trying to get the breaking scoop and the limo. There's a limo that pulls up, but as soon as the limo pulls up, a bunch of women flock to the limo. It speeds off. They're back to the desk. Cornette, he's he's mad that his team hasn't been revealed. And he's, yes, uh, you know, Cornette just, he's playing it up and they're, they're doing a good job of teasing when the hell they're actually going to show his team. It's a, it's a good bait and switch. You don't ever know when it's actually going to happen. So I, I, I like these segments. Yeah, it's, it's, at this point, it's, it's starting to get a little tired for me, but I, I get why they're doing it. It almost, you know, it almost, I don't know, the, the most recent I can think of, well, not very recent, but the first thing that came to mind when they, they came up, WWE did that dinosaurus dude, that dancing idiot. What was his name? Um, Funkasaurus or whatever his oh, name was. Uh, yeah, the um, Brodus Clay. Yeah, him. Yes. Like, like they, they built him up so long for like, it felt like six months and then he was a piece of shit. Yeah, well. I, 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 don't know. I, I think I know who's coming, so it's probably not that bad, but that's what it feels like to me so no, far. No, let me let me at least give you a little bit of a spoiler. What's coming is, is definitely not bad. It's one of the better parts of Smoky Mountain, his tag team. So, so don't don't please don't ever compare him to to Brodus Clay again. <laughs> Dinosaurs or whatever. No, yeah. No, that, that. Okay. I didn't ever think that we would have that kind of comparison on this show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh well, that's all right. <laughs> no, that's uh, perfectly acceptable. Andy, um, what are you thinking of these segments so far? It, it, it's just corny, you know, early nineties wrestling television. It, 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 he plays the over to the top character so well and all that stuff. He, he was just the perfect heel manager. And I, this just feeds right into it. You know, he, he knows the fans are getting tired of him. Like Justin was said, you know, they want to see the team, you know, this act is getting a little bit old and he still pushes their buttons with it. And that's what he was good at. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. Like I said a million times, it's either him or, uh, Heyman. You throw a coin in the air. Who's the best heel manager ever? I don't think it's even close between those two. Oh, um, not between those two, but I would throw Bobby Heenan in above both of those. No question. Uh, I forgot about that guy. Yeah. I'll give you that. Back in his day, Bobby Heenan, you couldn't beat him. He got Andre the Giant to turn. I mean, that that – what yeah, I, screwed up. I forgot about him. And yeah. he got him over as a bad guy. So, that, yeah, right. 
And, and he, yeah. he he was even better as an announcer too. I'll get. Oh you know, yeah, he, Heenan was, and he was a great wrestler. I mean, if you ever watch some of those matches, he's he's a better bumper than ninety nine percent of the wrestlers. Heenan was, and still is. He's. I mean, he's definitely one of my wrestling heroes. Just always on top of things. Always he expect. And then when he moved to transition to announcing, just such a quick wit, so funny. And uh, actually, you know, that, that makes me think of this. You, he managed Nick Bockwinkle for, for years uh, in Ray Stevens. And Nick Bockwinkle, unfortunately, this week, uh, past week, has passed away former AWA world champion Nick Bockwinkle. Uh, I think he was, uh, he was around 80 years old now. So he struggled with Alzheimer's the last few years, and that was – uh, but one of the best world champions of all time, and and Bobby Heenan was his manager. So, but yeah, yeah, Cornette's good. Heyman, Cornette's great. Heyman's pretty good, but I I don't think either one of them can touch what Bobby Heenan brought to the table back in his time. Yeah, I to- I, I that's terrible that I forgot about him because I love. I think I think I maybe it's because I remember him more as an announcer. I guess I don't know. I, I do. I know he's a manager, but yeah. He was great. Well, he's still here with us. Yeah, yeah. Barely, uh, barely but he's here. Yeah. So we're uh, back in Dutch Mantel. He's he's still pissed off that he's he's not got a buy in this tournament. He keeps looking at the paper like it's magically going to appear, which is great. And uh, he he's finally come to the conclusion by the end of this that he's going to sue Smoky Mountain Wrestling. So we'll we'll see where that goes. Then uh, we're back in for match for number five th- bucks. Five bucks, I think. Five bucks. We're back in for match number three. Golden boy, Joe Kazana, against Justin's favorite wrestler, Primetime Brian Lee. <laughs> and, uh, I, Brian, free, Brian fucking Cena. Oh, wow. <laughs> man. You know, Cena's put on some good matches. I've, I've come around on him a little bit. I mean, he's tired as a face, but he's, he's really worked his ass off the last few years. So I'll give him a little bit of a pass. But in this, I, I hate to say it, but he he has carried the company. I mean, Brock Lesnar come in and kind of give it a little bit of a boost, but he has carried the company. So a lot of the criticism he gets ain't fair. Me personally, I wish they turn him uh, turn him heel one time and just let him get everybody. Yes, you know, change it up. That's, that's yes. I, I guess my biggest B probably. He's the but same old he, shit. But then you make all the little Make-A-Wish kids sad. So, I mean, you know, what do you do? I think we've had this conversation off there before. (laughs) And it did not go well. So, we're not going to go into that on the air. Probably off there. Yeah. So, match number three is the squash, another squash match. It's it's Golden Shower, Joe Kazana, and Brian Lee. And Uh uh, the only note that I put... I put two notes. Uh, Kazana bumps pretty well for a bigger guy, which he does. He uh, he's pretty fluid in the ring. He's not a bad worker. He's, but I mean, he's a job guy. So, and he's going to job to Brian Lee for sure. And I, my other note is he actually just reminds me of a skinnier version of Adrian Adonis, which uh, just oh my dear lord, oh, that is yeah yeah. But, and I mean, I'm not talking about 1982 Adrian Adonis when. He was just the freaking man. I'm talking 1987 Adrian Adonis when 
he was wearing pink and, and weighed 380 pounds. So and got a haircut and got a haircut yeah. from Popper. So, uh, but I mean, I, I don't know where that came from. I was watching that match and I said, that dude looks a little bit like Adrian Adonis. Uh, That's where I was trying to place him. I'm like, he looks so familiar. I, that, okay. Yes. So, uh, nothing match Lee with the cancellation okay. for the win. I mean, what are you going to say? It was a squash, uh, unless somebody else has anything they'd like to bring up about Mr. Kazan or Mr. Lee, we will move on. Lee sucks. I'll say that. So we're back to the broadcast desk and Brian Lee comes to over to the desk and he challenges Dutch Mantel to wrestle him in a singles match with Lee spotting the tournament on the line. And they make a point of emphasis to say that Lee has to beat Dutch, but Dutch doesn't have to beat him. And I'm sitting there trying to wrap my mind around this segment, and I don't know if they didn't convey it right or what, but that basically to me says if I was Dutch Mantel, which he's supposedly a really smart heel, if Lee has to beat him, then if I'm Dutch, I just come out there and clock him with a chair, get disqualified, and take home, get my first round by. Well, see, that's that's what I was watching this, and I know they're trying to make Lee the baby face of the company or whatever, but he needs a manager slash mouthpiece worse than any wrestler they've got so far. Oh, he's got one coming eventually. <laughs> and I, and I, I swear I think that's what happened here. I think he screwed it up. And Dutch was trying to save him, and they just kind of went with it. I mean, I could be wrong. I ain't watched ahead to the next few episodes, but I, I swear I believe he just screwed the segment up, and Dutch was trying to save him as the veteran. I don't know. Well, well, well if you watch Bobcat cut out, uh, he looks so damn confused. <laughs> At first, it looks like it looks like he's like conducting a, like a really bad interview. Like, but then, but then I went back and looked at it. And, and you're right, Andy. He, he's Brian Lee screwed that up so bad. If you, I mean, Bob kept he didn't even know where to put the mic at, like between uh, Mantel and, and Lee. In, in so obviously Brian Lee screwed that whole interview up. He is so bad. Yeah, I mean, but and we've also got to remember he's only a few years into the business at this point, and Cornette's having to try to push him as the number one babyface. Because some of his number one choices, just for whatever reason, was not available. I mean, Cornette, when he came out with the idea of Smoky Mountain, he had two main ideas that I think that I've, I know I've heard him discuss both of them before. And had either one of these other guys been available and been in Smoky Mountain, it would have been a lot different at the very beginning because his ideal number one baby face was Brad Armstrong, who back then was just phenomenal. He was as good as Brad Hart. Uh, it just on it. And, and some people say, well, Brad Armstrong didn't have a great personality. Well, did Brad Hart ever have a great personality? I mean, I never thought he was Mr. Personality. So they'd have had Brad Armstrong in there. as their He was only one. good when he was a heel. Yeah, Brad Armstrong is the number one baby face would have been good. And the other idea that Cornette had, he was going to try to salvage Terry Taylor. And Terry Taylor was a really good, uh, well, he's a good heel, but he was a really good baby face in uh, the Watts Mid-South Territory, UWF, back in the mid-80s before Vince McMahon 
gave him the red rooster gimmick and <laughs> nearly, yeah, I, was, I was gonna i was gonna put that in there ne- nearly yeah. killed him but i think either one of those guys in there as a, a a top shelf baby face instead of brian lee would have been would have been would have made smoky mountain more interesting on the front end and Cornette wouldn't have had to have tried to put all of his eggs into into brian lee's basket but it is it, what it is yeah no, I, I bang on brian lee like probably too much but man it just seems like the guy just tries too hard he's in over his head even on a small promotion like this it seemed like he's way over his head yeah and, and there's one thing though that if, if go back and watch on um youtube just find some old old footage when he was in the stud stable and he turns on uh robert fuller in um memphis and as a baby face then he was connecting pretty well and his story was good i just he early in smoky mountain there was just something not quite clicking with brian lee but it will get better i promise good so main event time. It's a uh, first round of the tag team title tournament, and it's it's two more of Justin's favorite people, the Fultons against. Yep, Bobby and Jared. Oh my God! And Actually, Bob Bobby's fine. It's Jackie. I'm creeping the frig out about <laughs> that's all. <laughs> against Billy Black and uh, Joel Deaton, and De- Deaton has a bullwhip. I made the made a note that he has he brings the bullwhip to the ring and if if they would have stayed in Smoky Mountain longer, I also made a note that them two together with Dutch Mantel would have probably been something interesting that they could have uh held on to for a while. That they all three would have fit well together as a stable. But uh this match it's a it's a pretty good length T V match. I think they go about twelve, fourteen minutes uh, good back and forth match. I I really like Joel Deaton and Billy Black. Uh, Billy Black with that rolling flip uh, halfway in the match, and then he gets up and Deaton kind of catapults him into a back flip. That was a really cool spot that they had there in the middle of the match. And there's a lot of back and forth. I mean, Bobby Fulton as being the veteran of the match plays the face in peril for a long time. Gets a hot tag to Jackie, and at the end of the match, uh, they they had some kind of a weird. I, I don't think it ended like it was supposed to exactly. Somebody wasn't where exactly where they were supposed to be because Deaton and Black looks a little confused, and you could tell they were waiting on Fulton at the end of the match. And then Bobby's out of the ring, and he pulls Joel Deaton down, and Jackie comes up and rolls up Billy Black for the. For the pin. Um, Justin, what do you think about this match? It was probably the best match of this show, I guess. But, I mean, it really doesn't say much at all. Pretty boring show for the most part. Uh, but, you know, the, the Fantastics as a team, they're, they're pretty solid. I mean, I have to say that. Uh, Billy Jack and Joel Deaton, I mean, they're, they're decent too. So, I mean, it, it was a pretty good match. But for their main event, uh, I don't know. Could have done better. Yeah, I mean, the Fantastics are one of the teams they're building up to be main eventers. Sure. So, I I actually, for a main event match, I don't think, I didn't have a problem that it was the main event. I don't think that it, 
it had ups and downs. I don't know. I, I mean, if if you're looking at overall in the history of Smoky Mountain so far, it's definitely. I haven't uh, revised the top ten yet. It's in there somewhere, early in the top as one of the top ten matches, and it was a solid TV main event, but. They had a couple of little quirky things that happened in the match that drug it down a little bit. Um, Andy, what did you think about this match? It was an all right match, but uh, after they showed the little highlight package, the past couple of shows with the Wild Bunch, and then, I mean, they don't get me wrong, they pulled off some impressive moves, especially for the early 90s, but it wasn't nothing like what they showed them doing in Japan. It was a, it was a real good match, but you know, it was a little bit of a letdown. Yeah, and and I know that they're going to be pushing the Fantastics hard, so that they kind of had to win. But I would like to see a little bit more of Joel Deaton and Billy Black. So then we we get out of this main event and go to the desk. Rip Morgan and Jack Victory is at the desk. Basically, they're calling out the Fantastics. And uh, Rip Morgan gives his little shot of an interview. And then Jack Victory starts talking. <laughs> Bob Cottle cuts him off and says they're out of time. And it's funny because of the way Victory looks at him. And But what's even funnier is if you're watching this. I thought he was going to kill him. Yeah, well, but then after this, because Cottle says they're out of time. So Victory can't get in his 30-second what it promo but then they show like a three-minute highlight clip <laughs> to end the episode with like extended music and i'm like you really <laughs> couldn't give that poor idiot about 30 more seconds to to say whatever it was that he was going to say that was the original version of the rock going it doesn't matter what your name is yeah bob right, invented yeah, right. that in 1992 yeah i, I kind of like rip, rip morgan though he, he he cuts a pretty decent promo oh yeah yeah the the I don't know what Jack Victory was going to say. I mean, that's why Cottle cut him off. So shut the hell up, I guess. Yeah. So, so we've we've made it through episode number nine, and um, we will turn around and hit episode number ten right after this quick timeout. You're listening to Fire in the Mountains, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. I'm Terry Bradshaw. When I want to pass, I go to the pocket. And when I want a good chew, I go to my pouch of Red Man Chewing Tobacco. To me, the flavor's the best and it outlasts the rest. Because that ripe, tender leaf tobacco has a rich flavor that's welded in to last longer. So put a pouch in your pocket. <laughs> man, that's Red Man. America's best chew. And welcome back to Fire in the Mountain, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, as we recap episode number 10 coming up. And the celebrities and the sports celebrities just keep piling on this week. Terry Bradshaw, our celebrity endorser on Fire in the Mountains. And coming up to episode number 10 of Smoky Mountain. And, and what's more Southern than Red Man? Oh, by God, it's number match number one on episode number 10. As we get the debut of Dixie Dynamite against Yeehaw! Bad Boy Barry Horowitz. And uh, Dixie is billed from the heart of the Confederacy. And uh, he he bears a very striking resemblance to uh, Scott Armstrong. But I, well, I was, was going to say he looks like Blue Blazer. No. I, I was just waiting for him to 
fall from the rafters, I guess. I don't know. No, it's it's definitely not the Blue Blazer. It is definitely Scott Armstrong, who it's it's funny. If they wouldn't have debuted Scott Armstrong early in the first couple of episodes of Smoky Mountain and then just brought him out as Dixie Dynamite, I don't think a lot of people probably was real that that high on Scott Armstrong in 1992 to where the people in Knoxville would have known who he was. But after he had just been on TV a few weeks ago with Scott Armstrong with the same long curly hair, uh, I think a lot of people pretty much knew who that was. But I, and I don't know where this gimmick came from. I mean, I, I, I know Cornette's uh, alleged racial um, overtones. So maybe, maybe the, uh, the Dixie Dynamite character was something fond to his heart. I don't know. But uh, that was a pretty good back-and-forth little match with Barry Horowitz. Um, Horowitz is a good wrestler. We saw that out of him. And he continues to look good, but uh, not getting any wins. And uh, Confederate kick, uh, basically a super kick by Dixie Dynamite for the win. And uh, Justin, I'm actually very interested to see what you think of a character called Dixie Dynamite in Smoky Mountain Wrestling in 1992. That's really not that surprising, I guess, since, you know, wrestling down south. and uh, it, it, he, He's not a bad worker at all. I mean, I, I mean, we'll see where it goes, but I, I continue to say, I don't know, <laughs> you know, Horowitz, he still goes down to a lower level promotion and still gets buried, but and then I guess, you know, it, it must have been something about, uh, like you said, Cornette. I forget what the announcer said where Dixie Dynamite was from, the deepest part of Confederacy or something like that. The, the heart of the of, Confederacy. Heart. Yeah, whatever, yeah. I thought it was kind of funny. Yeah. That translates into Mobile, Alabama. <laughs> Somewhere thereabouts. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, somewhere thereabouts of Mobile, Alabama. So, um, you know, what's funny is th- this kind of character, I mean, with all of this, what's going on right now in the South, well, especially a couple of months ago with all of the Confederate flag issues, a guy in 2015 playing this same character would be a very polarizing character. He would not just definitely be a black and white baby face, uh, slam dunk baby face. This, the guy would be depending on where he's at or what town he's in. He could be the biggest baby face on the roster, or he could be the guy that's they're having to try to keep from knifing, uh, as he tries to get out of the building alive. Andy, what do you think about, uh, not not so much the Dixie Dynamite character in 1992. We can get away with that back then, but uh, what if we had no something like that around here now? now what uh, what kind of what do you think we could make with some kind of character like that? Well, that, that's the problem with uh, right now. It, wrestling has went so corporate and so global. They're too scared to make a character like this. Because it, it would give them bad publicity in the major media markets and stuff. And they want to run away from anything that 
is not politically correct or that could be misconstrued or anything like that. So there is no, it would be great if somebody had the balls to try it, but there's no way they could try to pull this off right now. They would be buried. Al Sharpton would be at every match, uh, you know, it'd be awful. They like I say, they'd be a knife in at every event. The, the thing about that is, you know, it, we're only 10 years removed from Vince McMahon playing, pulling out the, a character called Muhammad Hassan, who just happened to look a lot like uh, the guys that blew up the uh, Twin Towers. So, and, uh, and don't forget, this is the same Vince McMahon that said a certain word to Cena as he was standing next to Booker T. Right, yeah. you know, I, you know, we, you know, so I mean, it w- I wouldn't put it past him if he thought a dollar was made on it, but he knows he would lose more money, so there's no way. And it actually, you know, it was just a couple of years ago that in the WWE they had uh, Ron Killings, our truth, playing. Uh, he had some kind of overtones with his Confederate flag outfit that one, or the Confederacy. Uh, get up that he was in that for a little small period when uh, he was playing a, when he was actually a top shelf hill for a few weeks. So it's not about, I don't think it would be above Vince McMahon to try to pull something like this off. But uh, the, the, I would, uh, in 2015, a Dixie Dynamite character to me would be something like what we see with the, what we saw with the Heart Foundation during the attitude era where in Canada they were gods and in America, they were the biggest hills there were in the Federation. Uh, If they found the right guy, they could almost pull off something pretty cool with a character like Dixie dynamite in 2015. Yeah, sure. I mean, but, but do you, I mean, I guess it was too early for the, well, especially the location of where they were, obviously. I mean, they, they probably, they embrace, I mean, they're in the South, so they embrace it. So I get what your point is, but. Oh, yeah. Well, you got it. Like, like you say, this is. Yeah. Because, like, like you say, this was in the South in the early 90s. I mean, you had the Dixie kid out there. You had the one kid in the front row. You could tell he was inbred. You had the little baby over with the bubble pacifier, probably had some kind of whiskey on it. This was great wrestling in the South. Yeah, and and it was, I mean, a much different world in 1992. So, absolutely, Dixie Dynamite will be a character we'll follow uh, throughout the run in Smoky Mountain. We go to the desk after this match to Bob Armstrong with an anti-truck public service announcement. <laughs> and yeah, he's talk. Oh, okay. He's really <laughs> hammering home the fact to to say no to steroids, and um, I, I really do like the comment. Man, this actually could could be. Uh, rival it could be a rival if we had a comment of the week category where he said that we don't care if you look like 40 miles of bad road if you can wrestle and my god how true it is and i wish i really wish today's wrestling would would hold true to that because everybody looks pretty much the same in 2015 and Back then, they really didn't care. I mean, what really made wrestling cool was you had guys like Bam Bam Bigelow that nobody looked like that dude. Terry Gordy, I mean, he wasn't he wasn't real fat. He just wasn't in 
what you would call tip top shape. You you had guys that just looked like big ass guys that could whip your ass, and the the look was more of how you perceived yourself in the ring or played yourself off in the ring than anything else. So it was a really cheesy public service announcement, but they did get the point across that they don't really care what you look like if you can wrestle. And uh, Smoky Mountain did play that up through the years. Let them do drugs. Who cares? Thins the herd. I, I was waiting on Sergeant Slaughter to jump out and go, and knowing it's half the battle, G.I. Joe, you know. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, um, it was definitely an interesting uh, little promo. I kind, I, I kind of get your point. The whole steroids thing, whatever you know, everybody looks the same, and that part of it. But you know, it made baseball look better. It made wrestling look better. Who looks like yeah the for the most I mean, part? Yeah, who looks like the Ultimate Warrior or Hulk Hogan, circa nineteen ninety? Now nobody. Even the right. biggest of the big guys. And they dropped it at 50. Yeah, even the biggest of the big guys are not big. They're just cut, but they're not massive like they used to be. I mean, my God, Scott Steiner had the biggest arms in wrestling, period. I can't believe he's still alive, to be quite honest. Yeah, he's he's got good genetics, apparently, to still, for that ticker not to have exploded within the last 10 years. Right. So, anyway, back into the matches. Match number two, um, TJ Travis, who Justin is so affectionately nicknamed Andre the Giant's illegitimate son, versus Tim Horner. And um, ah, there was a squash, another squash match. They, they Horner did let Travis get in some offense. I like it when Horner's coming to the ring. Grandma makes one of her famous appearances. And uh, she, the Dutch says it takes a lot of guts to hug a wo- that woman. Uh, the, so he's banging on Grandma. He's banged on her several episodes. <laughs> he's not banging Grandma. He is banging on Grandma. Uh, so, I mean, what do you say about this match? Horner gets the natural bridge. Travis is still wearing those god awful freaking boots. Um, and. <laughs> The only thing I have to say about this match, the natural bridge, you know, for the early, this era, it, you know, it's a cool move because, you know, you got them pinned up and they can't go nowhere. But does he really have to do the two handed ass smack as he's rolling over? Is that really necessary? I mean, come on. Uh, he, uh, he's, he's shameless, Andy. He is shameless. Oh, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> and he one of the ones that had the lightning? Yes, he is the lightning. Oh, on the tight? Well, yeah. well. That is That's about all I had to say about this match. Okay, so we will move on. Cornette uh, they shows the tape, and they're at a hotel where he's going to unveil his tag team. And he, So he takes the Raimi guy out inside of the hallway. He gets the key, turns the door, and all of a sudden, um, undergarments fly out the door. You hear women yelling, why are you coming into the room? So uh, they're they're basically implying that they're giving Cornette's team the the proper training that they need to succeed in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Uh, a lot of cardiovascular work going on in the hotel room, apparently. And uh, once again, the bait and switch, we still do not know who Cornette's mystery team is. Yeah, get it over with. That's what I say. I'll say this. He, he, it's almost like one of those... Uh, Trying to be like Nature Boy, Ric Flair, something, something like some deal like that. 
Hollywood deal. I don't know. Yeah. I kind of get where they're going. I know where it's going now because I looked it up, but it's, I get it. Yeah, I and mean, you got you got to figure in the South at this time. I mean, what better way to get heat on somebody? Because right now he's got Grandma pissed off because them fornicators are in the hotel room. <laughs> right. you know, he's got all the regular guys pissed off because all, all the people. Hair, yeah, gone. you know he's got all the beer drinking guys pissed off because all the poofy haired girls are chasing after his tag team. You know, <laughs> the man yeah, is right. a genius on how to get heat on people. I'll give him that. He, he's just yeah. genius. Yeah, so we then we come back to, to one of Cornette's classic lines, and he wants all the fat, ugly, corn-fed women to be wearing seatbelts next week when his tag team comes out in their chairs so they don't drool all over the TV equipment and electrocute everybody. You're just Chef Cornette. I don't know where he comes up with half of this crap, but it's great. And uh, The only thing that would have made that line any better is if he had said something along the lines of their tongues would come out and slap their eyebrows, they'd be enticed. Oh, yeah. He's actually, that's one of the lines he uses quite often. So I would. Maybe that's where my daddy got it from. I don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your dad's taking after Cornette. So. Oh, Lord. Then, then to uh, Justin's favorite interview of the of the week, it's uh, Bob Cottle with uh, Killer Kyle and his eighteen uh, inch dildo. And Bob Cottle asked Killer Kyle why he's not in the tournament, and uh, Killer Kyle just looks at him. And then he asks him about the violin case, and he holds up the case and kind of rubs it a little bit, and uh, then he just walks away. So. Killer Kyle is a man of uh, few words, which is a good thing if you ever hear the guy actually talk. This was a very smart decision <laughs> on Smoky Mountain to just keep him menacing and don't let this idiot talk. That was a good, that was a good idea. Maybe they should want to do something with Lee. <laughs> that yeah, work. that's a very good point there. That does not work with your number one baby face. <laughs> yeah, but it is one of the best promos of all time. Eat your freaking heart out, Nate. This is the best <laughs> right here. Uh, Killer Kyle has, doesn't have to say anything to say everything. That's right. Lucille will say it all for him. <laughs> uh, is that what we're calling it now? That is what it shall be referred to from now on as Lucille. Okay. So it shall be known, Lucille. Match number three, which is another squash, Killer Kyle against Keith Hart. And um, this is the match where uh, about 23 minutes into the match, when you are watching this back, you will see our fan slash fans of the week. And we'll talk about them later. Anyway, uh, Killer Kyle, it's a squash ma squash match for him. Keith Hart at the end of the match comes off the top rope. Kyle catches him in like this bear hug, and then he gives him the rub out and he, he, the rub off, whatever. It's at least he did. At least he didn't. This guy's greatest. At least he didn't almost kill himself with the move this week like he did the last time. Because, it still kind of looked like he did. It looked like he's about to knock himself out every time. This guy's great. Yeah, he. Um, He's going to provide. He takes a place of Rip Rogers, I guess. He's going to provide as far as entertainment. Yeah, uh, unintentional entertainment from uh, Killer Kyle. Uh, he exactly. actually does. There was a pretty cool spot where he clotheslines the guy over the top rope, 
and he comes back out, and he press slams him all the way back into the ring over the top rope. And even though Keith Hart's not a big guy, I know that's still not easy to throw somebody from the floor to over the top rope into the ring. So at least Kyle does look semi-impressive in this match. I'll give him that. Yeah, and the whole time the fans are hollering, he threw him over the top rope, he threw him over. You know. Yeah, that's illegal in Smoky Mountain, except he was throwing him in the ring. So I guess that's a uh, technicality on the rule. I kind of hope he, he ends up into that into the uh, heavyweight title tournament or whatever the hell it is. Yeah. I'll be rooting for him, too. Uh, back to the desk. And this is something that I've noticed Smoky Mountain's been doing early in the episodes. I don't know how often they'll continue to go back to this, but... They show a Paul Orndorff interview complaining about the pile driver, but it's the same interview they showed about two weeks ago. So, the just they they I don't know if they're trying to stick it in to 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 make it look like he's there. It didn't really say it was a recap, so I don't know. It's the same interview though from the couple of weeks ago because uh, Orndorff's actually not there. I mean, it's just a way to have him on TV without being there, actually on TV. Yeah, continuing the angle of him possibly turning heel. That's just my... Oh, yeah. I don't know. That's my theory. Whatever. That's where it looks like it's headed. So, uh, match four, uh, squash match number four of the night, Paul Miller against the Dirty Bot Boy, Tony Anthony. And uh, my only note on this match is Tony Anthony just beats the absolute shit out of him. And it's always fun to watch Tony Anthony beat somebody's ass. So... Uh, he wins with the modified boss man slam again. And, um, uh, I don't know what you can say about the match. It's just Tony Anthony with a, a domination of a jobber. Yeah. Not much to add there. So same we're, old. we're back to the, it's like, a, it's like a same old his first match. Yeah. So we're back to the desk and Ron Wright, uh, being interviewed and he is, fed up with the hillbilly fans they're not sending him any money and and he is mad now i mean last week he put it on the on tv where they could send the money and he's not getting any money and now that that real nice little old man gimmick that he's been playing is starting to crack and you're starting to see the real ron Wright come out just a little bit and uh, this was a good segment a really good segment with him it was short and sweet but it was to the point and then Dirty White Boy with a great interview. Robert Gibson, he says he's no problem. Tim Horner, he can't beat me. And then he he makes fun of Brian Lee in a in a, a very girly voice, which is hilarious. Calling him prime time. He goes, Prime time. And uh he calls him a horse head. And Brian Lee comes out and in one other awkward Brian Lee moment, he says, There is a man on earth that can beat me but it's not the dirty white boy. And I don't know if that's exactly how he meant to say that, but that just still just didn't sound right. Uh, I think he maybe have meant to say, you know, there is somebody that can beat me, but it's not you. It would have been a lot easier if he would have said it that way. But we are talking about uh, prime rib, uh, Mr. Lee. And he's just, he's, he's not the best interview subject of, of uh, Smoky Mountain for sure. But but Dirty White Boy, he he put on a good interview there. That was definitely a good uh, good little interview by the White Boy. 
Yeah, he was. He was. Uh, he's definitely the best all. Around, like I said before, he's the best all around wrestler they got. Good on the mic. Good wrestler. I just hate you know. And then he had that thing with Ron Run Wright trying to calm him down like that. Yeah. It was so funny. Yeah. And then and then and then Brian Lee, like you said, trying to ruin it, <laughs> get him out of there. Yeah. So then we're, we've set this up. I mean, my God, this has been coming. Basically, I mean, Brian Lee and Dutch Mantel did fight in one of the early episodes of Smoky Mountain, but they've set this feud up and they've set this feud up and Dutch Mantel has a chance to earn him his way into the tournament uh, as an automatic buy if he beats Brian. If, well, no, I, I'm not even sure what the stipulation is at this point. I just, it, apparently if Lee doesn't beat Dutch Mantel, then Dutch has got an automatic buy. And Dirty White Boy comes out and plasters Lee before the match. It sets up a basic match where Dutch Mantel just absolutely annihilates Brian Lee for 10 minutes and uh, just works him over for 10 minutes. Lee gets no offense in at all. And then he does make a little bit of a comeback. They do a double knockout spot. Uh, They both get up about the same time. Dutch Mantel reaches into his tights for some kind of a foreign object. And uh, Brian Lee rolls him up. I mean, it was a roll-up pin for the win for Brian Lee. And uh, that was kind of, that kind of ended with a thud. That was not a very good match, I didn't think. Andy, what did you make of the main event? I, I tell you what, this whole match, it, it was just a cluster. It, I, it just didn't work for me. If I'm booking this, I'm going to have, I would have had Dutch actually win it dirty with the brass knucks, get the seed in the tournament, and then make Lee come from the outside, take, have him take Dutch's spot and make him earn his way all the way up through the ranks and give him a little bit more legitimacy, I guess, than what he's got right now but you know it, i don't know it was just awkward it, it just i felt dirty after watching it yeah i mean that's actually a really really good point um that would have been a good booking decision to have dutch win dirty or do something underhanded to get the win and get one over on brian lee make brian lee earn his way back in because realistically he would beat whoever they threw in front of him. Then in the first round of the tournament, he gets to beat Dutch in the actual tournament on his gauntlet through the tournament. So that would have probably been a better booking decision overall. Justin, um, we saw a lot of this Dutch Mantel and Brian Lee, and that's the main feud. Smoky Mountain is set up early, and this match just really leaves a lot to be desired, I think. Yeah, I agree. It, it You know... All kidding aside with Brian Lee, I mean, I second Andy's thoughts big time about this. Uh, they should have done something different with it, uh, but I, I, I guess they're still trying hard. You know, it's only 10 episodes in, still trying hard to push Brian Lee to be the top guy, and it's well, just not working for me. And on the flip Just side not. of that coin, though, they do have the dirty white boy attack Brian Lee before this match and make him work underneath the entire match and just get dominated. So the, it's like an yeah, underdog story coming uh, back through the so, match. So 
I can see where they're going on that side too, but I actually like Andy's idea much better if they would have actually went the other route. Sure. And, and that's the second episode in a row in the main event that we've had a roll up for the pin. Um, maybe going to the well one too many times for the same finish. Don't, 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 uh, don't overplay a roll up as a, uh, as a pinning maneuver, especially a roll up in a match where these two guys are really at each other's throat and they have been ever since the very first episode of Smoky Mountain. You want to see something end it like definitively. You want to see Lee with the cancellation and, and break Dutch Mantel in half. It would have been a more fitting end of that match than him rolling him up. Uh, it just seemed a little cheap. Well, yeah, one way or the other, you know, either have Lee just, you know, finish it right here and just beat the dog crap out of him or let it spill out toward the locker room and let Dirty White Boy come back out again and, you know, two on one and just beat the dog crap out of him to set it up for the, you know, next tournament or whatever. But I don't know. It's just, it's like you're waiting on something else to happen and it never does. And you're like, that's, that's the end of the episode. Really? Yeah. I mean, it really is. And so we, we have that and that's how it ends. And then, uh, yeah. Cornette, they do, this is like a local promo, but it's, it's included in the show. Uh, real wrestling coming back to Knoxville with the volunteers lamb. He really, really hops up the fact that it's a one man tournament with eight fantastic wrestlers. And he does a really good sell job for the volunteer slam coming up. And, Basically, that's how the show ends, and we we had just watched um, the two best episodes last week, back-to-back, with episodes seven and eight. Both of those had two or three good matches on each episode, and then nine and ten, we it, it was honestly a struggle to find one good match through both episodes. The Fantastics and the Wild Bunch was the only thing that actually stands out at all. And it's not like it really stands out that much just in context with the other matches on the show. It stands above. It was yeah, the turd it, with the most peanuts. <laughs> good way to put it. So, yeah, it was. I mean, it, you couldn't have put it better. So we'll jump. Straight That's kind of sad. Yeah. We'll, we'll jump straight into the end of the show awards and, uh, no surprise here when you watch these two episodes. I would think you'll agree with us. The match of the week is the Fantastics versus the Wild Bunch. Basically by default. There's there's not a lot. It's not like when we were agonizing over the Rip Rogers, Tim Horner, or the six man in the last episode. There was there was no number two. It was there was only one match that was worth it. Because Dutch Mantel and, and Brian Lee just did not live up to the expectations. Man, I don't know. I'd part. beg to differ. They was plenty of number two on this one. Yeah, just not the right kind. Uh, the soundbite of the week, uh, it's got to be Cornette's comment about the corn-fed women causing everybody to be electrocuted. Uh, <laughs> Cornette's, what are you going to say? He's awesome. He's always going to come yeah. up with some zinger. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I was going to say was the one about, uh, 
you know, the, the section he was talking about the section that was uh, downstream from the nuclear plant. That was pretty funny too. Yeah, but he he always has zinger. He has numerous. I mean, you could write a book on his zingers, honestly. Yeah. So Cor- Cornette with a sound by the week, uh, fashion statement of the week. I don't know if there was exactly one. Uh, Tim Horner, he had a statement uh, with his <laughs> singing ability. Let's let's give him the by default the fashion statement of the week with his his pained look as he sings shameless. Uh, he he had the bad gas during the singing of that the rendition. Yeah, we, I, I wish we could. Yeah, it's the wrong, wrong medium, but you know. Wish we had a picture of it. Oh, well, there there will be a picture on the PWO that that will that will land on the PWO forums, and uh, the fan of the week. Oh God, it's it, there's a husband and a wife in episode number ten. Uh, I guess there has been a wife or brother and sister and or both. Same thing. It's it's, it's very possible that they're they are related and and having relations too. So. Uh, we will we will put the picture of them on the PWO boards for your viewing pleasure. But the three young guys give them a a, a run for their money. Yeah, I, I was waiting for that husband and wife to, you know, I was waiting for the lady to pull out a revolver and commit a murder suicide. She looks so pissed off to be there, and her husband is so embarrassing. I was waiting for her to pull out a gun out of her pants and. Blow his brains out than hers. Oh, it wouldn't have been out of her pants, Justin. She would have pulled the gun out of something. <laughs> and unfortunate for us, it would it wouldn't have just been in her pants. Uh, oh well. The interview of the week. Um, we're going to give it with a a, a narrow two to one vote. Uh, Killer Kyle's non-interview with Bob Cottle, basically for his facial expressions and the way Bob Cottle sold it, but coming in a close second, Ron Wright being mad at the Hillbillies for not sending him any money. All right, guys, so we've made it through episodes number 9 and 10 of Smoky Mountain, and arguably this was the two worst episodes that we saw. A lot of squash matches, but we're leading up to the Volunteer Slam Tournament. They're going to keep all these guys strong, and basically the only only way you can keep these this many guys strong when you have such a short talent roster is to have those guys come out and just absolutely obliterate anybody they're fighting. Uh, they they, they kind of didn't have a choice. So I, I see where they're going with these two episodes, but just back-to-back disappointing episodes. Justin, um, episodes 9 and 10, what do you think? Yeah, they're pretty crappy, to be quite honest. Uh you know, I, you know, I, I, I like the potential of this promotion going forward, for sure, with the whole tournaments and, and, and the tag team and the heavyweight championship, whatever. But it almost these two these two episodes kind of lo- they lost momentum for the promotion. They so did, they we'll did. see we'll, we'll see what goes we'll see what goes goes on for the next couple. I guess it was a bit of a misstep. That's for sure. Yeah, it was, and sure. and that's going to happen early in Smoky Mountain. But my God, sure. when you see who's coming they're new, in, they're new, they're learning, and and who they've got coming in, and and knowing some of the matchups that they're going to have going forward, it's they 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 definitely will find their footing. But this this kind of show is going to happen every once in a while, and just unfortunately, it happened back to back episodes. 
right? Which, which yeah. is which is disappointing. So, um, Andy, episodes nine and ten in the books. What do you think? Yeah, it, it was very disappointing. But you know, I, on the other hand, I got to give them just a little bit of slack because you can tell by watching that a lot of these episodes were filmed two and three episodes at the same night. So, I mean, wrestlers now don't even do two matches a night, let alone three or four, and try to keep it fresh the whole night. And, you know, but I think they're setting up a good groundwork, you know, framework, and it'll it'll get better. Yeah, and um, just quite honestly, if you're listening to this show without following along and actually watching these two shows, uh, we haven't watched episodes 11 or 12 yet, which we will be watching this week for next week's show. But I almost Mark, believe Mark Curtis did. What's that? Mark Curtis did. No, oh, yeah, Mark Curtis is in the episodes. Is he in both episodes, or have you watched both episodes? Very beginning. Okay, so, but I, if you're if you've listened to this episode and listened to our recap, I honestly think that if I was watching Smoky Mountain. After I watched episode seven and eight, you could almost skip episodes nine and ten as a viewing, and maybe you would want to pick up on the Fantastics and Wild Bunch match, give it the ten or twelve minutes uh, for that match, and if you skip the rest of the entirety of these two episodes, I don't really think you've missed that much, and and hopefully in eleven and twelve we'll we'll pick up back we'll get some momentum back uh, next week. I still want if they watch if you watch nothing else, please watch just a few seconds of the Tim Horner singing video. You will not be disappointed, and it will give you a good laugh. Yeah, watch the Tim Horner video in episode nine, which two minutes, and watch uh, the Wild Bunch and the Fantastics in episode nine. And basically, you could skip episode ten. You might want to watch Ron Wright uh, with his little diatribe. Uh, about the the getting upset with the people for not sending him money, but really, if you're watch if you're doing a watch through on this, these are two episodes that you could largely skip and probably not have missed much. But we're watching every episode as we go through this Smoky Mountain Chronicle, and we encourage you to watch them all because you may catch something that we we didn't catch and uh, that you like and you want to tell us about or you want to discuss on the boards. Uh, feel free because we will post every episode as we upload them on the PWO boards for discussion. So, um, guys, we're wrapping up another week. Andy, would you like to leave us with anything? No, I'm just waiting on the next shows, and you know, I'm enjoying this. It's because even when even growing up down here, the first few episodes of Smoky Mountain I miss. So, I'll, there's a lot of this is new to me. But it's like a trip down memory lane. I'm I'm loving it. Uh, Justin Edgel, what would you like to leave us with this week? Uh, it's always fun. It's fun as always. Uh, I'm looking forward to see, seeing what happens with uh, Killer Kyle. <laughs> and that's about it. Killer Kyle and Rip Rogers and Justin Edgel as well. Well, yeah, that's right. All right. So for Andy Waddell and Justin Edgel, this is Ricky Wittenberg saying you've listened to another Fire in the Mountains, Smoky Mountain Wrestling Review. Mountain memories come down through the rain. Like-
Wind blows down the autumn leaves and blankets all the ground. Soon to be sealed by snow as winter 